I didn't know how else to feed my family but through um, cooking family recipes from my mom's notes, my old recipe notes. These were my coping mechanisms. Today we have a special episode for you. This episode is from the Heritage Cookbook Project, an audio project that I created to document heritage and family recipes from cooks across the country. We chose this episode because Betty Ann sums up the most important ingredient that any of us can add to our recipes and all of our interactions with the people that we encounter, maybe more now than ever. Listen to the end and find out what it is. Leaving your country of origin and settling in a new and foreign land comes with a lot of challenges. Traditions, customs, fashion, language, jargon, and food. Especially food. Writer, artist, and cookbook author Betty Ann Carino and her family left the Philippines in the 1990s for a work-related opportunity to America. And without the ever-present technological gadgets of today, connection to her family in the Philippines was extremely limited. So Betty Ann used what she knew would bring some semblance of familiarity to her family. My oldest son knew about America. He actually was very excited about moving, but my younger son needed more adjustment. He didn't like the cold. He didn't like when the snow was on his face. He would cry. You know, I did my best to get the family settled and feel like this was home. It took a couple of years for, for all for the four of us to finally realize we were home. And food was a big part of it. Uh, I had packed with me in my suitcases my mom's old cookbooks. They're dog-eared and yellowed, and the uh, original covers are falling off. The Whatever cookbooks or notebooks I had were to confirm or validate that I was doing things correctly. Welcome to the Heritage Cookbook Project podcast, where we document and preserve heritage by connecting with cooks across the country who share food memories, family recipes, and a little bit of themselves. And I'm your host, Leigh Olson. My children were growing up in America, and they wanted to be raised as Americans, you know. So there was a lot of rebellion also towards tradition and things that I tried to teach them. I used to make lunches for them, and I was very mindful that they would also want to try and blend with the school, with their friends. So I did not impose on them traditional Filipino food for for their packed lunches. But at home, every night for dinner, I would make sure that we sat together, no matter how busy the day was. We, we always sat together, had our meals together, prayed before meals, and we would try to have Asian or Filipino food, which I always cook from scratch. It was important to Betty Ann that her family was well-fed and that the boys understood the importance of their cultural foods and that they had the resources to prepare those foods. I made sure they knew how to cook, you know, life skills, along with learning how to drive and washing their clothes and cleaning their room. They needed to learn how to cook. Before they went off to college, before my eldest went off to college, I started writing my recipes in a yellow pad, which I always have on my desk. You know, I couldn't give him my notebook because I needed that. And my son said, what are you doing? 
Well, you're bringing this with you, I said. This, these are my recipes, so if you have time to cook. My oldest son said, Mom, nobody writes anymore. What do you mean, I said. And he said, nobody writes things on paper anymore, especially on a yellow pad. And he said, you need to start a blog. I didn't even know what the blog was. And I asked him, what is it? And he said, both boys said, okay, we'll create one for you. You put your recipes there and your photographs. And it's up to you, mom. We're not going to teach you anymore how to do anything. My goal was really to make sure my sons were well-fed and that they knew they had resources if they needed. Betty Ann discovered that the blog was not only a resource for her boys, but it became a way for her to document the dishes that she'd grown up with in rural Philippines and to share how she was able to find ways to create those dishes in her American kitchen every day. I grew up in a small rural agricultural town in the Philippines called Tarlac, which is uh, north of Manila. My mother was a homemaker, and my father was a farmer at heart. He, you know, we had a farm, and he grew produce and, and raised cattle and livestock. And that was the life I, I, I had growing up. My mother cooked every day from scratch, three meals a day. My father's rules were, as far as eating was concerned and meals prepared, we could only eat what came from the farm and the backyard. So now I'm actually surprised to see the term farm to table as a buzzword because that was the life I grew up with. I remember... As a little girl, it was my assignment to to go and get the eggs from the backyard. I used to collect eggs for the day and put them in my little basket. And for years, I actually thought that eggs were always brown, brown-colored shells. Around the age of seven or eight, when my mother uh, brought me to the city for the first time, I saw eggs were white. You know, they had white eggshells. And I asked, well, who washed the eggs? We also had an abundance of coconut trees in our backyard. They lined the perimeter of our home. Moving to America was a total different world for me. As far as being a mother and a wife and and cooking in the kitchen, it was a lot of... Uh, it, it took years for me to find ingredients that I could use easily. After the break, Betty Ann shares her memories of a very special Sunday dinner around her family's table in the Philippines, why this dish was so important to her in America, and some advice that I found surprising. And now back to Betty Ann and Spanish-style Filipino cocido. My mother had the cocido, she called it. We would all sit down together with my parents, and the soup, I remember the soup was separate, served separately. You know, Filipino food is served family style in big platters. Then we, we pass along the, the platters and then help ourselves. Mom put the soup in a big soup bowl. of uh, It was a Pyrex. You know, one of those old style uh, vintage Pyrex uh, bowls. And I remember it was even colored green. Father was at the head of the table, and I sat on his right. My mom sat on his left. So uh, I remember the soup was between my dad and me, and my dad loved soup, so we always needed soup. 
even if it was a warm tropical country, we always started the meal with soup. So my dad would uh, ladle the soup in individual soup bowls and give it to each of us. Okay, he would do that. And then my mother had the entire large bandejado, the oval platter of all the meats, the, the ham bone, the chicken, the pork. That would be the centerpiece of the table. The boiled vegetables were in a separate square pyrex. And then, you know, she would, she would arrange it very beautifully, the, the cabbage and the potatoes and the carrots and green beans and everything. And, you know, all these things, all these vegetables were grown in, my, in, in the backyard in our farm. There would be the side dishes of the um, eggplant hash and the tomato sauce, which I remember my mother prepared that from tomatoes that my father grew. And she would prepare that ahead so that it would be sweet. You know, she would boil and boil and boil it. It's making me very hungry thinking about it right now. <laughs> I used to love to, to, to gather, to put all these ingredients on my plate with rice. And my favorite thing to do was scoop some tomato sauce and pour it all over. You need it like that. That was delicious. And the reason why I like it is because when I came to America, if you notice, the Asian ingredients are, are not as uh, prominent so that you could prepare it. In fact, not just in America, anywhere in the world. If I'm a Filipino living in Rome, Italy, I could make that. It was comfort food. So the feeling was always your home. You can only have this beautiful comforting dish at home when we were moving to another country and here in America I told my father that we were getting ready to move he said you're going to have a very hard time and I don't want that for you my father was right I did have a hard time in, in, in a lot of ways emotionally physically socially and, you know, and at the end of the day, it was always comforting to have a home-cooked meal on the table. And I'm hoping it was also a comfort to my sons when they were growing up and learning and, and adjusting. So, you know. I asked Betty Ann what advice she had for making this dish, expecting to hear her talk about the harvesting of your own ingredients from the garden and the importance of spending hours and hours making it. But that's far from the answer that I got. This dish is uh, time-consuming, I, I admit. If you cook it the old way, stovetop, traditional, you're crazy if you're going to try and cook the way my mom did. Like, she'll start on Friday. If the meal was on Sunday, she'll start cooking on Friday and be, still be cooking on Saturday and still be cooking on Sunday. The meal was delicious. But the thing is, life is not like that. Uh, I would advise you can do shortcuts by using slow cookers, instant pots, pressure cookers, you know, take advantage of what we have in our world now to transform what we used to have before. You know, this is not your grandmother's time anymore. Sure, we want to cook the way our grandmothers cook, the way our mothers cook, but we're not living in their era anymore. The train has left that station, so, you know, let's let's move forward. Let's just embrace 
what we have now, the resources we have now, so we can continue doing what our mothers and grandmothers taught us in a faster, more efficient way. And let's just keep cooking with love. I hope you enjoyed hearing Betty Ann's story about Spanish-style Filipino cocido and the comfort a home-cooked meal provides. If you want to hear more stories like this, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Heritage Cookbook Project podcast was produced and edited by me. I'm Leigh Olson. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget that cooking with love is the most important ingredient that you can add to any dish. For more information about today's episode, check out our website at asweeat.com. Follow us on Instagram at asweeat and join our As We Eat community on Facebook. And so you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It would make us super happy if you would share this episode with a friend and review and rate it. Five stars, please. We also publish the As We Eat journal on Substack. We would be honored if you would support us by becoming a subscriber. We'll take some tasty side trips through vintage recipes, community cookbooks, and travel stops. There's four subscription tiers. We're sure you'll find one that's perfect for you at asweeat.substack.com. You've been listening to the As We Eat podcast, part of our multi-platform storytelling project exploring how food connects, defines, and inspires.